good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Ridgecrest, and I want to take just a moment because I know some of you, maybe you've just been visiting with us for a very short time. Maybe in, even in the last month, you've been here maybe four or five Sundays in a row, and every Sunday, somebody stands in front of you here on this stage, and they say, hi, I'm blank. I'm one of the pastors here at Ridgecrest. I just want to give some explanation in case you're wondering, all right? If you've been here for the last five weeks, you've heard from Pastor Justin, you've heard from Pastor Ryan, you've heard from Dr. Branson, and now you're hearing from me. And so I just want to clarify some things for all of us, maybe. Uh, we are currently, uh, we currently have a team of folks who are searching for a lead pastor for our church. Dr. Branson is our interim pastor. He's been with us since last December. We're thankful to the Lord for him being here and his guidance over the last months. Uh, Justin, Pastor Justin, is our pastor to uh, community and families. Uh, his responsibilities uh, really overarch our students and children's ministries, as well as uh, community connection and outreach and all of the things that we do online. Justin's in charge of that. Pastor Ryan is over all of our student ministry, both high school and middle school. And my role here is pastor of discipleship, which means I get to spend time with men. I get to work on life groups and Sunday school classes and those kinds of things. And every once in a while, we all get to preach. And so if you're wondering what in the world is going on in this place, there you have it. Dr. Branson will be, uh, continue to be with us in the weeks ahead. He's going to be preaching uh, the first few Sundays of every month. And for the rest of the year, one of the staff members, myself, Justin Orion, will be preaching on Family Sunday. And so you can expect to see us here on Sunday mornings at the end of the, each month. And uh, we're thankful for that opportunity uh, to be a part of that. We're thankful to be able to stand with you. It is humbling to be here in this place because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord has a word for us in this place today. We didn't come here for no reason. We didn't come here by accident. He has a word for us. And the fact that I might be the one that has that word to say today is humbling, but I trust him. And I ask you today to trust him as well as we seek to dig into his word. Now, Dr. Branson started us off in 2 Timothy a couple of weeks ago, talking about God's calling and will for our lives and we're going to be back there today in 2 Timothy, so you can turn there in your Bible if you have one. You can flip on your phone or turn in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, right there in front of you in the pew, there's one, and we would love for that to be yours. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible, take it home. Our only, our only real ask for you is that maybe you read it, maybe dig into it, open it up. And I have a challenge for us, maybe even including you if you're taking that Bible, but for all of us, I have a challenge for us. We're going to be studying in the book of 2 Timothy for the next 14 weeks, all the way up until Advent season in the 1st of December. We're going to be studying 2 Timothy for 14 weeks. Now listen, 2 Timothy is four chapters. It's 83 verses. It's literally one page flip in my Bible, just like that. There's 2 Timothy, and it's over. Here's my challenge to you, to me, for the next 14 weeks. Would you make a commitment to read the book of 2 Timothy every week for the next 14 weeks? And I don't know what that may look like for you. Maybe it's one day reading, it takes place of something else, or maybe it's pieces of 2 Timothy every day uh, as you read and you're in his word. 
But I do believe this. I believe we're not studying 2 Timothy by accident. I believe God has led us here as a staff and with Dr. Branson. And I believe that God has a word for you as an individual, and he has a word for our church in 2 Timothy over the next 14 weeks. And if we will immerse ourselves in his word, and we will spend time there, and we will listen, I believe God has a word for us in 2 Timothy. So that's my challenge for you. The next 14 weeks, let's read 2 Timothy over and over and over again. And I believe that God's going to show us something different every day as we dig into that. I believe that we're going to hear from him. So let's do that. We're going to start this morning. We're going to read in 2 Timothy. And I'm going to jump all the way back up to verse 1 just so we have all the context here. And I'm going to read through verse 6. So this is 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 6. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day and as I remember your tears I long to see you that I may be filled with joy that I may be reminded I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure it dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Let's pray together. Father God, we don't want anything else today but to hear from you. And we believe as a body and we believe as individuals that what we have just heard is your word to us. Your word is a gift that you've given to us that we might hear from you. And God, I pray today as we study it and as we look at it, that it moves in us and that your spirit in us speaks to us and tells us what we need to know, how we need to know more about you, how we need to know more about living for you, serving you, how we need to know more about being a church of people that walk with you on a daily basis. God, I pray for folks in this room today. I pray for those who are close to you today, who are here celebrating their walk with you. I pray for others today who are struggling and they're fearful and they need something from you today, God. I pray that your spirit would move in a mighty way in them. Bless them, God. Bless us today as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned that Dr. Branson started us here in 2 Timothy a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and he might have mentioned, he did mention that 2 Timothy, uh, we believe, was Paul's last letter. And it's what we call a pastoral epistle. Now, Paul wrote a lot of letters, and most of those letters were written to either a church or a group of people. But there were a few, that, these that we call pastoral epistles, there are three of them that we identify that way in our Bible. They are First and Second Timothy, and they're Titus. And these letters are written to individual pastors, people that Paul has been mentoring uh, through the years, and he's writing to encourage them, to strengthen them, to challenge them. And he's written this letter to to Timothy, and most people believe that it's Paul's um, most personal letter, that it's his deepest felt letter as he writes and offers instructions to young Timothy 
and his, as he continues to mentor him and lead him along the way. He even calls Timothy there, we see in verse 2, he says, you are my beloved son. So we know that this letter is personal. It's to somebody that Paul cares about, somebody that has a relationship with him. And as he speaks to Timothy, he speaks with kindness, he speaks with care, he speaks with a longing. As we go on, we can, we can just imagine Timothy. He's there in Ephesus, and we just finished studying through the book of Ephesians, and we know some of the challenges and difficulties that were there. But Timothy's there in Ephesians, in Ephesus, and he gets this letter from his mentor, a man that he loves and cares for, a man that he respects above all others probably. And I can't imagine the impact that this letter had on Timothy when he, when he received it. It says here that, uh, that Timothy shed tears the last time that they separated from one another. And I don't know if that was just because he was sad to be separated from Paul, or maybe he realized that it might be the last time that he ever saw Paul. We really don't know if Timothy ever made it back to Paul, if they ever were reunited in, in this life. But the truth of the matter is that Paul and Timothy had a relationship that was special. And when Timothy received this letter from Paul, it must have meant a lot to him. It was powerful. We can see Paul's heart here. Uh, Dr. Branson mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and we'll see later on in this letter, that Paul has been deserted by some. Some that were with him have left him. They've moved along either out of fear that they would be associated with him or, or, or caught up in his struggle or his imprisonment. We don't know exactly why, but he's been deserted by some. He's feeble in his, in his old age, and he's anticipating a cruel death. And, and yet we see this is on the heart of Paul. Guess what is on his mind in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of this struggle and fear and pain? This is what's on his mind. Timothy. Timothy's on his mind. He says, Timothy, I long to see you. I remember you. I want so badly to be with you. I need you to come so that I might have joy, so that I might experience your presence. And in verse 3, it says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, both day and night. And in verse 4, he says, and I remember your tears. Now listen, we aren't told exactly what caused this remembrance to be brought up. Maybe it was the loss of these people around him, the lack of faith of the people that he was close to there. Or maybe it's just that Paul needs some encouragement and he knows that Timothy is just the guy to give it to him. Uh, Timothy has to be encouraged by this though. As Paul basically says to him, Timothy, your faith... Your faith is one that is an example that should be imitated by other people. As a student minister for many years, I use this verse over and over and over again. And I've had uh, adults now who were teenagers in the past remind me of this. In, in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul tells Timothy to not let anyone look down on him because he's young, but to set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now listen, a lot of us in this room there's no problem with people looking down on us because we're young anymore, right? But we're still called to set this example, this example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And Paul believed that Timothy could set that example. We'll see in just another chapter here in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that he tells Timothy to be strengthened and entrust or teach what he has learned to faithful men. 
Paul believes that Timothy's faith is a faith worth imitating. And today I want us to spend a few minutes and I want us to ask ourselves this question. What are the characteristics of a faith that are an example like Paul talks about here? What kind of faith causes a man like Paul, a spiritual leader, to long to see his friend Timothy? What kind of faith is that? Has, have you ever had somebody in your life maybe that you just wanted to be around because of their faith? Whenever, no matter what, ups or downs, they're the one that you want by your side. In the most difficult of times, in the best of times, they give you strength, they give you courage, they bring peace into your life, determination, assurance. Surely you have someone like that in your life or you have had somebody like that in your life before. And I don't know about you, but I wanna have that kind of faith. I wanna have that kind of impact on the people around me. I would ask you to do something this week as you're thinking about maybe that person or people in your life that have had that kind of impact on you. Somebody that you wanna be around that brings you joy. Would you do these two things, the same things Paul did? Would you lift up thanks for them this week? Would you ask God to bless them and encourage them and walk with them? Would you thank, be thankful for them day and night in the days ahead? And then would you do the second thing that Paul also did? Would you write them a letter? Maybe nowadays it's not a parchment scratched out with a quill pen. Maybe it's a text message. Maybe it's a phone call or an email. But whatever it is, would you take the opportunity this week to pray for the people in your life who are an encouragement to you, who've walked next to you, who've kept you on the straight and narrow, and would you reach out to them and encourage them this week? I know Timothy loved hearing from Paul. And uh, today I want us to just see a few characteristics of this faith, and I believe that Paul lines these characteristics out for us in verses five and six. And so we're gonna step down to those verses. And he gives us three characteristics of this kind of faith that Timothy had. So let's read verse five again. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure it dwells in you as well. The first characteristic of this faith that Paul's talking about is this. It's a faith that is sincere. Now, what is a sincere faith? The real definition of this word here, the sincere in the Greek, means that it is without pretending. And where, where Paul was in these days in Rome and in Greece, there were actors who would act on a stage like this and they didn't have little earpiece microphones like I do, like Garth Brooks. And they didn't have a, only the old people know about Garth Brooks headphones. <clears throat> Uh, they didn't have this, they didn't have a microphone that they could hold. And so they would construct these large masks that would have different emotions on the mask. Their eyes and their mouths would be different. And the mouths of these masks would actually be shaped in a way that it would uh, amplify the voices of these people on stage and it would cause their voices to be cast out to the audience around them. And basically what Paul is saying right here, he's taking that word for that mask and that acting and he's saying that the faith that Timothy has, has no acting. It has no mask. Timothy's not pretending. Timothy's faith is real and active and alive. My question for you today is, are you wearing a faith mask? 
do you just put on this big mask with emotions on it and words coming out of this mouth that people hear and it's only for Sunday? Is there pretending in your life or is your faith sincere like Timothy's was? Paul says that Timothy's faith is the same when Paul's there and when he's not there. The same when he's around believers and when he's around unbelievers. It's the same when he's with uh, people that he cares about and people that he doesn't know. Timothy's faith is sincere and real at all times. Timothy doesn't profess one thing with his mouth and then live something else. He has a sincere faith. Paul also says that this faith that dwells in Timothy, it lives in him. It took up residence in Timothy. It's not something outside of him. It is in him. In good days and bad days, it doesn't move in and out of Timothy's life. It dwells in Timothy. An indwelling faith is a faith that permeates every area of our lives. Every area. A sincere faith allows God to impose his will on us at any time and in every situation. A sincere faith is not a caboose on the backside of our life's train that's just being drug along by every other activity or thought that we might have. A sincere faith is an engine that goes before everything we do in every aspect of our lives. That's what a sincere faith is. Does your faith define your life? Or is it just a piece of your life? Does your faith change everything? Does it change how you think, how you talk, how you work, how you love, how you parent, how you spouse, how you friend? How about how you play? Does your faith change everything? Paul says Timothy's faith is sincere. His faith is who Timothy was. Is that true of you and me this morning? Do we have a sincere faith? The second characteristic we see of Timothy's faith is also right there in verse 5. And at the, in the middle of that, he says that it is a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. This faith that Timothy had is a faith that is shared the faith of Timothy was alive in his grandmother and his mother. If we look back in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, we see a little bit of the history of Timothy. We see a little bit of his background there. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there whose name was Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And so we see this background of who Timothy was. We see that Timothy's mom was a believer and that she prepared Timothy to hear and believe in the gospel. We will also see later in chapter 3 of, of 2 Timothy that it says, Paul says to Timothy, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture that have been able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How did Timothy know the Scripture? How did he know the Word of God? How did he know the Old Testament? His grandmother and his mother taught him. 
They poured into him. And when they came to a believing faith in Jesus Christ, guess what it says they did? It says they took those scriptures that he had learned all in his young life and he, they pointed them all to Jesus. They pointed all of that learning to Jesus. And that's how Timothy came to know and trust the Lord. It appears that Eunice didn't have the ideal Jesus-loving husband and that Timothy didn't grow up possibly with both parents following after Jesus. But here's what I know. He saw the faith of his mother and he wanted it for his own. This should be an encouragement to some in the room today. There's some wives and husbands here today that are currently walking in faith alone. There's single moms, single dads, grandparents raising children. We see you. We know you. We can't control the faith of others, but we can live our faith out every day, in every situation, even in less than ideal circumstances. And that's all that God asks of you. That's all that he asks. God is enough. God is enough for you and he's enough for your children and he's enough for your grandchildren and he's enough for anyone who comes under your influence. He just asks you to live a shared faith. Your faith is not just for you. And your kids and the people around you are gonna see your faith. What kind of faith are they gonna see? I guarantee you they're gonna see through the shallow, the weak, the fake. We can live a genuine faith that encompasses every part of our lives and we can teach our kids the Bible and we can trust in the Lord and it's still not a guarantee that our children are gonna follow Jesus. But I can assure you of one thing. Our children are more likely to love the things that we truly love and they are more likely to value the things that we truly value. Are you living a genuine shared faith in front of your kids? It's genuine, it's alive, it's taught. We are called to do that for the people around us. Paul was part of Timothy's growing faith as well. Even though he might not have had a father who was a believer, he had a man who poured into him. Men, women, were called to do the same. An interesting side note here to verse five. My mother-in-law's name was Eunice. And uh, she was an amazing woman. She was strong, she was faithful, she was encouraging. She loved Denise very much. And when I came along, she loved me even more. <laughs> Denise knows that's true. She was kind and caring and faithful, and she was strong. And she had difficulties in her life. She had a lot of sickness and struggles. She lost a, a leg to diabetes and spent many years in a wheelchair. But she was positive, and she trusted Jesus. And she wasn't perfect, but she was faithful. And she lived a life of faith. Eunice died about two years after Denise and I got married and before either one of our girls were born. And I remember Denise being sad that our girls would never know her mom. 
that they would miss out on her joy and her kindness and her spirit. Sorry. I told Denise this. Our girls are going to know Eunice because they know you. And that faith in the life of Eunice lives on in Denise. And now it lives on in my girls. And I pray that it will live on in my grandsons and my grandkids. A living faith, a genuine faith is shared. And it goes on and on and on. The last characteristic that we see of this faith that Timothy has, Paul longs to see him. It's in verse 6. It says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This faith that Timothy had, it was a faith on fire. A faith that was burning. John Wesley is often quoted as saying this, get on fire for God and men will come from all around to see you burn. We are called to be on fire and have a faith that impacts the people around us. Paul reminds Timothy to fan this flame that was placed in him by the Holy Spirit. And he encourages to fan it and to stir it into a full fire. If you've ever done any camping or maybe you've just had a wood-burning fireplace in your house, you know this. If you light a fire and you leave it, it will ultimately dwindle. It will ultimately go out. But if you stir it, if you poke at it, if you blow on it, if you add logs and fuel to that fire, it will return to flame and it will continue to burn and burn and burn as long as you tend that fire it will burn. A faith that is on fire is a faith that is well tended. And I don't know if Paul told Timothy to fan his flame because Timothy's fire had dwindled or if he was just reminding him that it takes work to keep a fire going. And maybe today you're in this room and you would say, Joel, my fire is blazing. It's blazing. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for where you are in your walk with the Lord. I'm thankful for what God's doing in your life and how he's moving and, and impacting you and the people around you. What a blessing. I want to encourage you with this. Continue to fan that flame. Continue to add logs onto that fire. Continue to add fuel and avoid things that might quench your fire. Avoid them. But I'm sure many of us in the room today would likely say if, if asked and we were honest that our flame is struggling. And I've got two questions for you today as we begin to wrap this up. I want to ask you these two questions. What's happened to your fire? Has it been neglected? Is it time for you to stir the flame that God has placed in you through his Holy Spirit? Are there ashes and garbage on top of the the fire in your life that need to be removed so that it can get air and it can breathe and you can add fresh wood and fuel to that fire. We have to do work, folks, to keep our fire burning. And I don't know what today might be quenching your fire, but I do know some things that do, and I'll give you some of them, and maybe this applies to you and maybe it doesn't. But these are some things that will quench your fire if you're not careful. Many of us know Jesus, 
We've trusted in him and yet sin is still a major part of our lives. We continue to live in opposition to what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. And the result of that is our fire is quenched. And maybe it's like one big bucket onto a fire or maybe it's daily little cups of water over and over again that sin splashes onto this fire in our lives and it causes us to not be on fire the way God wants us to be on fire. Folks, if there's sin in your life that you continue to live in, you will never have a raging fire of the Spirit of God in you. It will continue to quench that fire over and over again. We've got to deal with our sin. We've got to step into truth and honesty. We've got to be open with the people around us. This should be a safe place. Listen to me. We're all sinners, all of us. So bring your sin. Let's give it up, all of us together, so that it does not continue to quench the fire that God has called us to as individuals and as a church. Sin will quench your fire. Complacency will too. Maybe you're satisfied right where you're at. You've got just enough church in your life, just enough of the Lord. Man, I wouldn't want to get too spiritual about this kind of stuff. Like I've got other things to do in my life and we're just complacent sitting back, relaxing on what we have currently. Folks, it's just going to be a fire quencher. We've got to stir and poke and blow on that fire. And if we're complacent, it won't ever happen. If we're too busy with the world the priorities of this world, the love of the world, the world, love of money, these things will quench the fire in us. Broken relationships will quench the fire in us. If you have broken relationships in your life, I can guarantee you your fire is not burning at the rate that it could be. You need to be the catalyst to fix those situations. Step out, be brave. Step into difficult situations and fix things that are broken. We can fan the fire in several ways. Paul says here he prays both night and day. Our prayer life will cause our fire to burn. Our time with the Lord, the reading of his word, spending time with him and asking him to examine us and show us things that are quenching us and other things that will fan the fire that is in us. Spend time with the Lord. He also talks about here to fan the, the flame of the gift of God. He has given us all gifts. And one way to fan that flame is to serve according to your gifts. You've been given an opportunity this morning to serve on our benevolence team. Are you gifted? Do you care about people? You have the, the gift of hospitality or care or mercy. You have the gift of administration Guess what? Opportunities given to you today. If your fire is low today, maybe it takes you stepping into service so that God will fan the flame of the gift that he has given you in your life. Serve one another. Serve this body. Serve our community. And let him fan in your life. The last thing that I know really does help us to fan our own flame is if we sit, sit and stand next to somebody who's blazing really brightly. Would you determine to surround yourselves with people who are on fire for Jesus? Will you determine to surround yourselves by people who are encouraging and challenging, who will push you toward the word of God, who will ask you hard questions, and who will love you in spite of your answer? 
Sit and stand next to people who are blazing and I guarantee you, your fire's gonna be relit. So question number one was what's happened to your fire? Is it fanned or is it quenched? The second question is this, for some of us in the room, has there ever been a fire? Many people will go through their lives huffing and puffing and poking and prodding at a pile of logs that have never had a flame in them. We have tried our best to build our own fires, but we have never allowed the Spirit of God to live in us, and the result is this, no flame. No flame. No fire, no matter how hard we try. If you don't know Jesus today, if you've never experienced a relationship with him, you've never surrendered your life fully to Christ and said, God, I want to give everything about who I am. I want to have this sincere faith. I want to have this shared faith. I want to have this faith that's on fire, and I give everything of who I am to you. If you have not ever done that today, listen, stop trying to fan the flame. You're just going to wear yourself out, and you can poke on your life all you want, and there'll never be a fire unless you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You can't do it on your own. We have to follow Jesus in order to have a fire. And so I'm asking you today, has there ever been a fire? Do you need to know Jesus today? He's available, he's ready, our staff is here. We have other folks that would love to visit with you about how to know Jesus, how to have a fire in your life that he will light and it will burn and it will give a light to those around you. Listen, your family, your friends, your work, this church, we need you to be on fire. We need you. And we don't need you just poking at a, prod, a pile of dead logs. We need you to be on fire flaming for Jesus so that you can impact us and impact the world around you. I want to have a faith like Timothy, a sincere faith, a shared faith, a faith that's on fire. What about you? What kind of faith do you have today? Have you been wearing a faith mask on Sundays? Do you need to tend your fire today so that it will be uncovered and, and brought back to full flame? Or do you need to ask and allow Jesus to light a fire in your life today? We're coming right now to what we call a time of response. And I want you just to ask God this question. God, will you examine me? Will you search my heart? Will you search my life? Will you show me what you want from me? Will you show me that the embers of this fire that you've placed inside of me that may be really deep underneath a lot of things, but he wants to blow new life into those embers today. He wants to impact you today. And so will you ask him, God, search me, and then will you do this? When he looks and he sees and he asks something of you, will you move? Will you do what he asks you to do? We're gonna pray. There's a song by an artist named David Leonard it's just called Light of Fire. And I'm gonna start off and I ask you to make this your prayer today. And then we'll, uh, we'll pray and go into this time of response. The song says this, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Take me back to where it all began. 
where all I ever wanted was your presence. How I long to be there once again. Light a fire that the world can't burn out. Fan the flame till nothing between us remains. My life is an altar to you. Breathe again on the embers that burn in my heart. A love taken back to the start. My life is an altar to you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for allowing us to see Paul in the midst of struggle and difficulty, his need of encouragement. Thank you for even in the midst of that, he is encouraging, he's training, he's leading Timothy. And God, we thank you for the picture of Timothy today, a man whose faith is worth imitating. And God, I pray that we would have a desire for that kind of faith as well, a faith that's real, sincere, no masks. God, we want no masks in this church. We want honesty. We want to share our faith with one another, with our kids, with our family, with our coworkers. God, we want our faith to burn in a way that changes this world. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room today that needs to respond to you in, in any way, they need to lay sin on the altar, they need to uh, pray with someone for encouragement, they need to give their life to Jesus, whatever it may be today, God, I pray that you would speak to them and that they would move when they hear from you. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.